Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 312. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. They are celebrating their 10th anniversary, and now through October 11th, you can get 50% off any Respect Sextet album available at respectsextet.bandcamp.com. Just go to respectsextet.bandcamp.com and enter the offer code TJS, the initials of the jazz session, TJS, to get 50% off through October 11th, which is the date of their 10th anniversary show at La Poisson Rouge in New York City. And information about that show and tickets are available at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. He's online at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. My guest today is Ernesto Servini. If his last name sounds familiar, his sister Amy, who's a singer, has been on this show. Ernesto's quartet has a new album called There, and we'll hear the opening track. My guest is Ernesto Servini, and uh, the Ernesto Servini Quartet has a new album called There, and it's great to have you on the show to talk about it. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So this is one of those live records that makes me wish I'd been at the show. It's <laughs> uh, it's just, man, it's so full from start to finish of, I think, like an awareness of the fact that there are people in the room, which really grabs me and is really something we've been talking about a lot on this show recently, this kind of the idea of of performance in addition to just creating the music, but actually kind of being present in a space with other people and the interaction between the band members and the audience also. And it seems like you've really figured out how that works just listening to this record. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was a really great audience that those, the two nights that we were there and throughout the whole tour, um, we, we were getting great feedback and it's almost impossible not to feed off that, you know, and then, um, Specifically with this band, uh, we have a lot of fun anyways playing together. So there's always a lot of 
stuff, you know, going on between the four of us, not only musically, but, you know, we're, we're laughing at each other and, uh, and, uh, wooing each other when they, you know, I always do that when Joel plays stuff cause he's so good. <laughs> and so <laughs> I find myself going, woo, during this all the time. And, and Dan, uh, Dan Loomis, who's on bass does it a lot too. So, um, and yeah, we were just, you know, it's, again, it's hard not to feed off that audience. And so, you know, we finished the first tune of, of the first set, which actually isn't on the album, but we finished the first tune. And I remember the feedback was like, we got this great applause and everyone was totally into it and they were totally quiet. And, and when I, when I talked in between tunes, they were totally engaged. And so you just, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. So then we just went from there. And, uh, it was also about a week. A week and a half into the tour, so we were all really comfortable. Sure. We had played the stuff. Everything was just feeling really good. And uh, it was kind of the perfect, perfect time to have an opportunity to record. Will you talk about where this was recorded? Uh, sure. It was recorded uh, in Vancouver, BC, um, at a club called uh, The Cellar, and it's a great it's a great club there. Uh, it's it's in a basement spot. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of the the Vanguard. It's kind of that vibe down some stairs, and it's it's a f not as narrow. Actually, no, it's about the same width as the. It's very similar to the Vanguard. <laughs> I mean, the setup's hey, a little different. It. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's very similar. And uh, so it's a small room. The, the audience, uh, the, we were sold out the night that we, most of the tracks are from the same night. And uh, I th there was probably 60, 70 people there. So it's not a huge room, but, um, but they, they get crammed in there. And, then, and you just feel that feedback even more because they're so close and everyone's so tight and they're just... They're just feeding you some response yeah. to what you're playing. It's really, really great. And you mentioned, of course, that you were uh, several days, a week or a week and a half into the tour. And I think that's the other thing that really shows through with this band is how much of a band it actually is. Yeah, it's um, it's great playing, being able to play with these guys on an ongoing basis like that. And um, and so, yeah, we were we were about... A week and a half in and everything had just really come together and most of the stuff we had played before the tour anyways because we played on the last tour and and we had recorded it together um but uh i mean even there was a couple tracks on there almost half of them probably that were new to that tour that i had just written since the last time and i kind of brought them in or i emailed them beforehand and said hey guys if you want to check it out here it is if not see you in calgary and <laughs> we'll, we'll hit and uh 
And so, you know, the first gig of the tour, we were kind of like, okay, let's see how it goes. And then, you know, when we're driving to the next gig, I would kind of say, okay, by the way, I was just thinking maybe on this tune we could do, you know, this to it. Or, you know, maybe we'll, we won't have this solo. Or, you know, just tinkering in the car on the long drives to the next gig. And then, and then everything kind of evolves. And, and also, you just see what happens, which is the great thing. They're all really creative musicians, so. Yeah, I was going to ask how much room there is in your compositions or in that process during these drives for the other members of the quartet to also say, hey, I was thinking this. Oh, I invite, I invite as much of that as possible. Um, uh, well, also, there's a couple of their tunes on here. Sure. Because um, I, I, you know, I, I, it's my band, but I don't want it to be just my vision. I, I, and I don't want it to be just my voice. I mean, I, I invited these guys to play with me because I admire them as musicians. So then I don't want to say, hey, come play with me, but only do what I tell you to do. Don't be creative. Don't feel like you can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I always tell them whenever there's something new, I'm like, whenever we play it the first time, I always say, guys, you know, this is my idea. Please give me whatever you're, you're thinking. And so um, there's definitely lots of room for that. And, and we'll, we'll discuss all that stuff. And, uh, you know, whatever people suggest then we'll you know try it and see if it works and if it doesn't then i get the final say right but, <laughs> but besides that i i really want them to to you know contribute as much as they can sure and as much as they want to This, uh, I find on this show that I, I tend to get into these little places where I'm asking about particular topics for several weeks in a row. And uh, I came here yesterday to interview you 24 hours early, <laughs> <laughs> right after interviewing uh, the saxophonist Avram Pfeffer. And we were talking about exactly this idea of how do you, how do you have a clear musical vision while at the same time allowing room for the other members of the band to contribute? Uh, so, for example, how much do you write out of bass parts or piano parts, uh, those kinds of things, and how do you how do you kind of navigate letting that person figure out what's appropriate, but also having the piece come out the way you intended? Right, that's a good question. Um, a lot of times, uh, for example, with the bass part, um, what I'll do is I mean it depends on the tune. You know, some tunes it's just 
play whatever you want. Here's the changes. Go for it. Sure. Um, if there's like a tune that has a specific baseline, often I'll say that's the baseline, but do what you will. Go for it. And, um, and I think there's a, a comfort level between the four of us that if there's something that I feel is too much or not exactly how I heard it, uh, I'm not afraid to say, hey guys, you know, I was actually, that's not quite what I'm hearing if we can do it this way. And uh, they're not afraid to, to try new things with what I give them. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I mean, it's a fine line. It is, it is, you're definitely walking a tightrope between, between really, uh, really like na- nailing everything down so that there is no space for other people to decide what they want to do, but then also still having it come out the way you imagined it and the way you're hearing it. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing is communication. It's just being really open and, and not being afraid to tell people what you want, but not being afraid to also just let them do whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And again, with these guys, they're all super creative. So um, it's easy for me to say, this is my idea, now go. And, you know, sometimes it goes places where I didn't expect. And I'm sure there's, I can't imagine there's ever been a time where I was disappointed with what happened. You know, I try, I, when I, uh, I've, I've learned a little bit about being a band leader about not trying to uh, control everything. Because I remember, you know, six, seven years ago, getting really, like, overthinking everything while I'm drumming, going, oh, that's not what we're, oh, that's not exactly what was supposed to happen. Oh, this is a little too slow. And, um, and now I just play and just have fun. And if something goes somewhere completely different, okay, that's where it went today. Right. You know, and, and, and kind of, Keep in mind that I, I have a, an idea of how these songs are supposed to sound, but if they always sounded the same, then it wouldn't be that fun and that creative anyways. So um, there's stuff that's on the album that we've never done before or since. It just happened that night that all of a sudden, uh, I know there's one tune where all of a sudden everyone drops out except for the piano player, and he's just on his own. And like we never did that. That wasn't planned. It was just, it just kind of happened. And and it's really nice. But I don't feel like I want to recreate that either. Right. Like, that happened, and I'm sure it'll happen again. But it doesn't have to happen every time. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. You know, wherever it goes, it goes. That's one of the things that I love about improvised music. And sometimes you get it in other forms of music, too. But that idea that it's okay for something to happen only once. Absolutely. And if you hadn't recorded that particular time, it might have happened only once. And no one except those 60 or 70 people in the room would have experienced it. Right. And that's great. I think that's awesome. And and I think that's the thing that I'm trying to get used to more and more as a band leader. Because when something happens that's really good, it's hard to just let it go. And just be like, okay, that was awesome. Let, let's see what happens next time. Because uh, it is easy, especially when you're on tour and you're playing songs, you know, you're playing the same tune every day or two for like two weeks. And there'll be one day that something really special happens. But inevitably, if you try and recreate it, it's not going to happen the same anyways. And it won't feel the same for you regardless because you've already done it. Right. It's, it's so, and I remember doing that on that tour. I did something really neat like in the first couple of days and I remember trying to do it again uh, a couple of days later and it just didn't, it was missing the sparkle of the creative. It was totally creative and uh, it was off the cuff and it was just, and so when I tried to recreate it, it just, it came out a little flat. Yeah. And so, uh, and you know, so I'm constantly learning from this kind of, this thing. So that was one of those moments where I went, okay, so just, just let it go. Just move on and, and don't, 
I, I think it's important not to think when you're playing. And so that was a hard thing for me as a band leader to get used to is not sweating all the details and think it just listen and, and stop worrying and just play drums, you know, especially and, because it's your job to sweat all the details to get you to that place where you can play the drums. Absolutely. The guy who has to book the tour and all yeah. the other things, <laughs> all that other wonderful stuff. But, um, that's, that's the most important thing. And I mean, again, these guys really help with that because they're really easy to deal with on tour and they make sure they can see when I'm getting stressed out. So, and I don't get stressed out too often, but, um, they, they kind of help with all that other junk so that I'm not worrying about, oh, well, is the bass player going to give me a hassle because this hotel isn't that nice or, is, you know, there, there's none of that. So, so just, even though we know that Joel Fromm always requests a bowl of only green M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the time. Um, he, I mean, he couldn't be easier to deal with. He couldn't be... He's just He's just great. He's a wonderful musician, and he's just just a beautiful person. And so... And all the guys are like that. Uh, Dan Loomis and Adrian Ferrugia is the piano player. And they, they're just... It's just easy. They just make everything easy. Musically and all the other details. And they're just appreciative that we get to go play, too. So, um, you know, I'm always sweating. I, I do a lot of sweating the small stuff beforehand. Right. Which is why the tour hopefully is easy. <laughs> and, um, and they'll always, you know, I'll be emailing them. So this is kind of the plan. Does this look okay to you? Is this, and they always email me back. They're like, Ern, it's great. Thank you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about it. So when I get up on stage, there is none of that, like, oh, how is it, is it, you know, what are we going to do? Is it, even if we're playing for five people, I get to play with Joel Fromm. And, and Dan Loomis and Adrian, and they're great. And so I'm not worried about anything once yeah. I sit down. It's just, okay, now we get to play. This is why we're here. This is why we do what we do. Sure. So it's go time. And just close my eyes and start hitting the drums. Yeah. <laughs> can you uh, can you give us an idea of, um, for example, this tour, what kind of cities you were in, what kind of venues you were in? Sure. Um, how, you know what I'm going to talk about? I have one coming up, and okay. it's a little fresher in my mind. Sure. So, uh we're actually we're going across Canada in November, and that was a cross Canada tour, so it's very similar. Um, we play, uh, which for people who don't realize is a huge. I mean, across Canada is <laughs> thousands and thousands it's, of miles. It's it's a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's like um, across several European countries. Yeah, you know, to compare it. Yeah, and and the thing is, there's not that much. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's that much wider than the U.S., but there's just nothing in. There's like. You know, you, you play in a city and then you have to drive east for eight hours to get to the next real city. Right. Whereas here, you could probably pass a bunch of pretty solid cities in eight hours, sure. uh, depending on where you are, of course. But um, so we going across Canada this time, we're doing some east coast. So we're playing in uh, Prince Edward Island and uh, Nova Scotia. And then we're going to play in Toronto and do a couple gigs around Toronto. And um, then we go, we're going to fly out to Calgary and we're playing in Calgary and Saskatoon, which is in Saskatchewan. And then we play in Vancouver. And then we're doing a bunch of like interior BC gigs. So we're playing in Kelowna and Kamloops and a place called um, Armstrong, BC, which I have never been to and I, I imagine is pretty small. Right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we're just going to go across. It's going to span about three weeks and uh, we're playing... In that time, probably through to 18 gigs, we have like two or three nights off. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be a blast. And is this a mix of, of jazz clubs and other kinds of venues? Or? Yes, it is. Um, 
it's a lot of jazz clubs, also a lot of jazz societies. Okay. They have these great jazz societies in most of the cities across Canada. Um, and so they have like, they'll have their own jazz club that they have music at just on Fridays and Saturdays usually. Sure. And, um, and it's a really appreciative audience because it's people who pay for this membership to come and see music. And so when they get an out of town guest, they're there. And, uh, so it's amazing. It's amazing to play in these places. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I went to Saskatoon and Saskatoon's a pretty small place. And, um, there was a lineup outside the door and I'm, you know, this was, uh, my first tour. This was three years ago. I'd never been out there before. So there's really no way that these people know me. And there was a lineup outside the door. The place was packed and they loved it. Sold tons of CDs, got a standing ovation and and I'm sitting there going, wow, where where am I? Where did this amazing place come from where these people love jazz and they support it? And and it's really quite incredible. So um, so it's jazz societies, jazz clubs. Uh, we're doing a couple jazz vespers, uh, gigs and churches, and then we also do like college uh, workshops and uh, and university workshops oh, and great. stuff like that. So it's a, a mix of all of those things. And, uh, it's also, we, we're getting funding from the Canadian government and the government of Ontario, uh, to help us do this, which is kind of incredible. Yeah. I try not to tell Americans about that. Too yeah, no, it's, they, it's too depressing. They yeah. get, they get a little bit sad when I, <laughs> yeah. when I tell them, yeah, I'm going on tour and Canada's helping me pay for it. <laughs> oh, like, God. What? what? <laughs> yeah, it must be nice living in the first world. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully someday we'll all get a chance to experience that. As you're moving, you know, kind of from city to city, from gig to gig, if you if you look at the first gig on a tour and the last gig on a tour, is there, uh, you know, kind of a an, an evolution in in the music if you listen to a recording of the first and last nights? Absolutely, yeah. There's no question about it. Um, the the first time I went on tour is when I realized what it's like to be able to play with the same people for you know 15 days in a row the same music because you know nowadays that you don't get clubs to book you for a week that's impossible and in Toronto there are there were two clubs that used to book uh, week-long gigs and they both closed about 10 years ago 
or 12 years ago. So now that's just not an option. Um, so this is kind of the only way to do that. And so I had never discovered what it was like until my first tour. And uh, the, the music just, it just takes off. Everything, everything really loosens up and everything becomes super tight. You don't have to worry about, you know, arrangement and who's supposed to do what where. And, and no one's worrying about that. So everyone's just listening and playing. And then we kind of stop doing the arrangement stuff and just start playing. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so you set up all these boundaries and then by the end you break all of them and just play and have fun. And, uh, and so the first time I did a tour, I did it after I had recorded my first CD. And then I realized how stupid that was because everything sounded better than on the CD because we toured it. And so from now on, I'm never like, I don't want to make a CD unless it's after at the end of a tour because the music sounds inevitably, it sounds so much stronger. Um, and which is why I was so excited to do this, this album, because I was able to play that same music for 10, 12 days. And then, and when I, you know, when I heard the, the rough tracks from this, I mean, I remembered the night, it felt pretty good. It was a pretty fun night. And then I heard the rough tracks. I was like, okay, that's that compared to the studio album, which I, I'm happy with the studio album I did. But to me, it's, there's almost no comparison just in terms of looseness and, and, and the flow and the fact that it's live so you can hear us feeding off the audience instead of, you know, with headphones on in a little booth by ourselves. Yeah. You know, trying to, trying to, because basically when you're in a studio, you're trying to recreate the live feeling anyways. So what's better than just <laughs> play live, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you don't have to recreate anything. That part's there. I mean, you can't edit, but I mean, some of the beauty is, is the, it's a little rough around the edges and pe that's what music is yeah. like live improvised music is not perfect because there is no perfect. So you just play and have fun. Yeah. When I listened to this record, I was really struck by, uh, it made me realize how few records like it people make these days. I mean, it used to be pretty common to, you know, to have a live at the Vanguard album or a live at the half note or whatever. Yeah. And you know, any, well, first of all, bands were working there sometimes for months at a time. Right. So you had a lot of material to choose from. It was yeah. easy to crank those albums out. But it seems, uh, I mean, I, I get a lot, a lot of CDs. As people tire of hearing me say, I get more than a thousand a year. And of those thousand, there aren't all that many that are recorded in live settings. And when I heard this record, it just, I mean, it, it literally does just jump out of the speaker. Not literally, obviously, that's a misuse of the word literally. I was not injured by this album jumping out of my speakers. <laughs> it figuratively jumps out of the speakers because I just think it sounds so alive. I mean, it just sounds, it sounds so much like music being made in the moment, which is yeah. the thing that attracts me to this music in the first place. Yeah. And the beauty of that is we didn't have to do anything to get that, you know, it just, that's, it's a live album. That's exactly how it was. Yeah. We were having fun. The audience was having fun. And it was, it was actually funny trying to edit the ends of the, like the, the applause at the end. Cause there were people yelling things out and you're like, Oh, are we going to leave that in? Like, that's a little inappropriate. <laughs> or you'll hear us laughing at each other at the end of songs. And, and so, um, in the end, we just, I kind of tried to leave as much as I could without it getting annoying. Sure. But, because that's what was happening. And I thought, well, that's, that was the gig. That's exactly what we did. So I'm not going to really taper this off so that people don't hear us having fun. Like, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, that was the beauty of it is it didn't take any, like, you know, you know, magic afterwards, editing magic to make it sound like people, we didn't have to crank up the audience sound or do we just, it's just, we just had fun and it was live and it was, it was spur of the moment. Yeah. And, uh, 
And the, the funny thing is, the guy who recorded it didn't even really realize we were going to make an album with it. He thought we were just like, just wanted to have a recording of it. And then after, after the first night, I was like, oh no, this is, I'm hoping to release this. And he was like, oh, well, good, because it sounds great. So just, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well, well awesome. <laughs> I'm glad we had this conversation. <laughs> talk about uh, your other three bandmates and how you kind of uh, assembled this band? Sure. I'll start with um, Adrian Ferugia. He's the piano player, and uh, I've probably known him the longest. Uh, he's from Toronto, uh, which is where I, I live now and also where I grew up. And so I'm trying to think, I don't know if I really played with him much before I moved to New York. Uh, I was in New York for four years. Oh, I don't remember when. What year is it now? So probably from like 2003 or four to 2008, something like that. And um, so I started playing with him a little bit when I started going back for gigs after I had moved here. And um, th there's a certain sound in Toronto, Toronto to, to generalize, and I'm really generalizing here, which is dangerous. But um, Toronto m jazz music can be a little polite, like Canadians in general. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't always... And again, this is a generalization, but it doesn't always really go for it and like kick into high gear. And uh, he was one of those musicians when I first played with him where th he was doing all of that stuff, which is what I wanted. The, like, you know, there's room for politeness, but there's also room for just going for it and killing it. And so uh, I started playing with him a little bit, and then I realized pretty quickly that he was someone that I totally related to in a musical sense. And so uh, he's on all three of my albums. Um, he's been in the band since the beginning. And, uh, and yeah, he's, kind of, he's one of my closest friends in Toronto now. And, and musically, we're just, we, we're in the, in the same place. So it's great. And then um, Joel Fromm is, well, he's, first of all, he's an incredible musician. Uh, and I met him through playing with uh, my sister Amy um, in one of her, she has a vocal group that she works with called Monday Off. And he did a gig uh, with them that I was on and it was fun and um, when I had my CD release for my first album I wanted to do a New York release because I was living here at the time 
And so I couldn't bring the Canadian guys up because it's just going to be too expensive. And so uh, I thought, well, why not get Joel? He's really good and really nice. And so he did it. And uh, and that was great. And then when I wanted to do my second album, which was Little Black Bird, I decided, well, why don't I just get Joel to come to Toronto? And, I'll, you know, he can stay at my place and we'll do a string of gigs and then record this album. So we did that and it was fantastic. It, he he had never played with my band before that kind of I think it was like five or six days we played three days and then went and recorded the album and uh, everything just clicked uh, with him and Adrian and with with he and I and so I was that, that I knew that that was a, a match made in heaven and Joel and I get along really well he's kind of like family now um, so he come whenever he comes to Canada he stays at my place we have a guest room and my wife knows what he likes to eat and we get we get this nice fizzy water that he like we, we take care of him so he's very happy coming coming to stay with us and uh so joel joel was working out great and then um i was using a bass player from toronto named john maharaj who's a really fantastic bass player and he couldn't do my tour my first tour that i did two years ago and so i um I called Dan Loomis, who I played with a bunch when I was living in New York, and who was just a wonderful human being and a great bass player. And uh, he was able to do the tour, and we just had such a blast that I kind of knew, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't really want to fire John, but I, I couldn't not play with Dan. So I was just, okay, Dan, you're in the band. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it, they're all great musicians, and the first time we ever played as a quartet was the first day of our first tour because Dan had never played with the band he had never met Adrian until we got to the airport in Edmonton and it was like hey guys this is Dan Dan Adrian let's go play music for 10 days (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and it was wonderful like they they hit it off great Uh, personality wise everything works wonderfully we all it's a great hang we all get along really well and musically we just have a ton of fun and uh, so I'm I'm super excited because not only are we going across Canada in November, but we're going to Europe in October for about 12 days. Oh, great. And uh, I've never done a European tour, so I'm just excited. I've gone to Europe, but never to play. Um, so I'm super psyched about that. And just the fact that we get to play together for like 30 days over the, in, in a 40-day period, it's going to be incredible. Yeah. I kind of wish I was going to record another album at the end, but it's, it's a little soon to... to <laughs> you should do it, man. Don't pass up the opportunity for that. <laughs> well, I'm just going to have to book more tours. Yeah, yeah. That's what I figure. <laughs> uh, so a couple things I will mention housekeeping-wise that both uh, Joel and Dan have been on the show, so listeners can check that out in the archives. And also we have a ton of European listeners, so I assume folks can go to your website, which will be linked at thejazzsession.com. Yes. And check out the tour everything dates. Is, so everything is listed on the website. Yeah, awesome. for sure. Fantastic. We'll be right back. 
you talk about why you decided to uh, leave New York and move back to Toronto? Sure. Um, a big part of it was um, my – it was a family decision. Mm. The whole time I lived in New York, uh, my girlfriend was living in Toronto. And um, we – it was kind of one of those things where I was tired of being – single but not being single and being in a relationship but not really being in a relationship do you know and in trying to balance like i was by myself all the time and i just got to talk to her on the phone which was nice but phones get really yeah. annoying <laughs> after a while and four years you know four years is a long time now i went back a lot to visit because toronto is not far it's an hour flight and um so it's, it was easy to go back and forth but still you know that that only you can only go back and forth so much without taking away from being in whichever city you're trying to be in so um that was the main thing and it wasn't like she you know laid down an ultimatum it was kind of my decision um entering the fourth year that I was here I thought you know what okay I love New York and musically things were really happening here um but I realized that that was really important for me. And Toronto is a great city for jazz. There's tons of fantastic musicians there. Not enough clubs, but there's not enough clubs anywhere, unfortunately. You know, so yeah, the stuff true. that we deal with, uh, the stuff that musicians from New York deal with, with not enough clubs in New York, um, that, that's the scene in Toronto. I mean, I'm always telling people in Toronto, like, it's like that everywhere. <laughs> I got news for you. New York's not really that. I mean, there's more clubs, but there's like a thousand times more musicians. <laughs> right, so, exactly. you know, <laughs> you're dealing with the same ratio. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was basically, that was how the decision was made. I decided, okay, you know what? New York's not far. I can move back to Toronto and still, um, keep my roots in New York. And, and I, I mean, my sister lives here. So I literally, I, there's family here. And uh, a bunch of my friends are still here from Manhattan School and a bunch of my musical colleagues from outside of school. And so, you know, you're never, it's not the same, obviously, as it was when I lived here. You can never, you can never live in two cities at once, really. Um, but I, I feel like it's just so close that it was kind of an easy, it was an easy decision to make and still make it work. And has it changed the way you live and operate as a musician to be in Toronto versus being in New York? Yes, in, in many degrees, yeah. Um, and then in some degrees, no. I mean, I still, I'm still trying to pursue, you know, music all the time. I haven't, it, there is a tendency, when you're in New York, you're constantly reminded how amazing everyone around you is. And so, uh, because you just, you see, you see these amazing musicians everywhere, not only in clubs, but just walking down the street and you're like, oh my God. When I lived in, in, uh, Brooklyn, I lived right across the street from Greg Hutchison. Literally, I could see his door from my door. And, you know, so I'm like, I walk outside and I'm like, oh, right. He lives right there and he's amazing. Okay. You know what I mean? So the, so when you move away, there is, you do lose that like consistent every single minute of every day. You're reminded how amazing everyone in the city is and, sure. and, and it gives you something to strive for. But it kind of becomes your responsibility to keep that happening. And so I've tried to keep that happening and just – and the great thing about Toronto is there is that many amazing musicians there as well. You don't know about them necessarily. They're not as well known. But there's people there that could I, – I really think could move to New York and would be playing everywhere pretty much instantly because they're just wonderful musicians. They're just happy living in Toronto, so they do it there. Sure. Um and then in terms of, you know, and then the fact that I now live with my wife instead of when she was there and I was here, obviously when I was here, I had tons of free time. So I would go out and see music all the time. And I was, I, I never, you know, I could, I could just 
be selfish 100% every minute of every day and do whatever I wanted to do, which was great. You know, I practice and work out and then I would just sit at my computer for hours looking at, you know, watching videos of musicians or, so I can't do all that stuff quite as much as I could right. before. I mean, I still practice and work out and sit at my computer a lot, but obviously, you know, as as anyone who is in a relationship knows, <laughs> you yeah. have to uh, you have to balance things out a little bit more. Um, but specifically musically, I mean, I try not to let anything change because I was really happy here, and um, I really learned how to actually I really learned how to practice when I moved to New York. Because when I was in Toronto, I, I moved here as a student. I I um, I graduated. Um, I finished my undergrad degree in Toronto and I moved right here and went to Manhattan school. So I was still, I was still a kid and I was still kind of getting my, sure. my head together. But I kind of went from being a big fish to, to coming here and, and being nothing like a minnow. And so I really learned how to practice when I got here. Um, just because I was, you know, I had guys in my class who were, who were like touring already with these, you know, established musicians and, and like going out to play gigs with Roy Haynes and was like, wow, you're playing with Roy Haynes. That's really cool. And now they're, you know, and now they're recording albums for Blue Note and stuff and they're, they're doing great things. Um, but it kind of opened my eyes to, okay, this is it. This is New York City. I need to get it together. So I have tried to, I, I've kept that part of my life going. And I mean, I'm still going to strive to, to, um, keep creating and keep striving for for new stuff and keep pushing myself because I I have seen I do know some or know of some musicians who you know they just kind of settle and they get comfortable with their teaching gig that they have and they kind of don't play as much anymore and then they stop putting out albums and they stop practicing and and they're happy but I I don't know if I would be happy if I stopped kind of moving forward and stopped searching for the next thing that's going to inspire me sure um so that's something that I learned from from moving here and that's something that i've i've kept with me and i i hope never fades away and it sounds like there's some benefits uh, for example the fact that the government is helping fund this tour that there are benefits to being closer yeah in, absolutely to, in canada yeah absolutely yeah. um i mean you know there's the obvious i own a home with a backyard <laughs> right um yeah there aren't a lot of those here that's in City, cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know um and and uh, so there's the obvious. The price of living is is a little lower. Uh, although Toronto is a pretty expensive city, but sure. I mean New York is is insane. Yeah. Um, and uh, there is it is a smaller scene, so it is easier to get get up closer to the top of the scene. You know, rather I mean New York is the the jazz capital, and so but I mean at the same time you're close to all those guys. When you're here, you could end up on a gig with Kurt Rosenwinkel somehow. And and in Toronto, that's probably never going to happen. Right. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, but there's definitely, there's definitely pluses. I mean, the government funding thing is amazing because they, they funded this album. They funded my last album. That's great. They funded my last, my last two tours and my two tours that are coming up. They funded my new website. I mean, it's hard to get these grants and I, I'm applying for grants like every month. Sure. I, I'm a grant machine now. Because I just figured out if someone's going to get this money, why shouldn't, why shouldn't it be, be me? You, right? <laughs> um, so, and I mean, they are very, they are very competitive. I've been very lucky the past couple of years, um, but I do get turned down for stuff all the time as well. Um, but I mean, the money's there, and so you just—it's it, a really great opportunity to help Canadian musicians kind of get their stuff out. And uh, and it's also, I mean, 
it, it's also necessary in terms of touring because it's such a big country that it's not like you can just do a quick little skip around the eastern states and hit right. Philly and and New York and go out to Connecticut somewhere and do right. Boston. You can't do that. It, like, you know, uh, if you want to go to Quebec City from Toronto, it's like an eight-hour drive or a 10-hour. Oh, no, it's even longer. I think it's about 10 hours. Like, that's a pretty hefty drive. And then, and you know, if you want to go further, it's another 10 hours if you go further east. So <laughs> like, that's a lot of driving to do. You know, you're not going to be really fresh for the gig that night if you've been in the car for 10 hours. Yeah. And uh, so it just requires a lot of flying. And, and you know, that is not cheap. Um, you know, and then there's the other thing where there's, there's lots of taxes in Canada. So that helps pay for all that stuff. Right. But, but it, is, it is great. So I kind of got the best of both worlds a little bit because I do have all this support and uh you know when talking to my sister about it and she's she's always joking with me because literally every couple weeks i'm oh i'm just yeah i'm just applying for this grant and i'm just working on this thing she's like you're you're doing grants all the time like (laughs) yeah well you know because you you do get turned down so you know if you only do one a year then you'll only get one every five years right well that's not good (laughs) i don't i don't want to only do a tour or an album once every five years i'd like to keep moving so Uh, they've really, the access to those grants has really, really uh, helped me uh, move forward and establish myself. And I think what happens with the, the granting system is um, once they see that you've received these grants and that you're doing stuff, they're more inclined to give you more. Sure, you're because, a good investment at that point. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is amazing. And I mean, I just got lucky that I kind of got in there and... and uh, Right now, they like me. But, I mean, that could all dry up. You never know with these things. Every time I submit one, I know that it, it may not happen. And uh, with the tour, I actually had to book this whole tour that's coming up in November. I booked it in February because the grant was due in March. And so you have to book a whole tour, and then you apply. And if you don't get the grant, you have to cancel the whole tour, yeah. which happened to me my first time. So, I mean, there is that part, too, which can be dev- – it was devastating, because it was my first tour and I spent all this time and no one knew me. So it was really hard to book and I did it. And then, and then I got the letter. I'm sorry. Oh, you man. weren't picked. It's like, oh. <laughs> but in Canada, everyone, like all the clubs understand because they know how it works. So I called them. I was like, listen, I'm sorry. It didn't work out this time, but you know, I'm going to try again. Yeah. And then the next time I tried, they were all totally supportive and it worked out. And so it's, we're pretty lucky to have that funding there for us. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. My guest is Ernesto Serini. His new album with his quartet is called There, and it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's been uh, such a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thanks a lot for coming on Thank the show. Thank you so much.
That's music from Ernesto Cervini's quartet and the album There. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. The Jazz Session is member-supported, so if you like what you hear, please do become a member. You can do that for as little as 10 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody!